0: Well, good morning, New City. Good to be worshiping with you. My name's John. I'm a pastor here. There is a series of books that I really like by an author named Susan Howitch. And she's, it's a whole, she's got a whole number of books that she has written about priests and spiritual directors. And the characters kind of show up continually. I think I've talked about them in the past. And they're all sort of set in the mid to late 20th century in the U.K., um, and the, the last set of books that, I, that I'm on right now all revolve around this healing center in London. And the healing center itself is a fictional place, but it's based on an institution and a building and an organization that actually exists. There is actually this estate that was donated to the Anglican Church in, in England that it has been run, or at least at the time she was writing this books, was being run by pastors, and doctors, and therapists, and volunteers, and they're all working together to facilitate healing for people that would come to them. And the author of this book, she's especially interested in the intersection between faith and science. And in fact, she used the proceeds from her books to endow a chair at Cambridge, which is dedicated to the integration of theology and science. And this kind of comes out in her writing, in particular, in this healing center. As she develops the characters in her stories, they're always having conversations with people at the healing center. And one conversation will be with a, a doctor or a psychiatrist and another conversation will be with a therapist, and another conversation will be a priest, and another conversation will be a spiritual director. And each person has a different way to describe what is happening in this protagonist's life. And one person may choose very colorful, what she calls old-fashioned language, and talk about the language of sin and the devil and demons, and, and the next person will talk about the fragmentation of personalities or disintegration of the psyche or mental breakdown. And what I find so interesting about her books is the way she's digging into this question kind of from all these different angles, looking at people who are all broken and wounded in their own unique ways, and she's digging into this question, how does a person experience healing? How, what does a person do how does it happen? We all have these wounds in our lives. Some manifest in physical ways. What do you do to experience healing? In the most recent book that I was reading, the protagonist is this powerful uh, lawyer, female lawyer, and her husband has this secret life of criminal activity before she gets married, and he completely is hidden this from her. But after they're married, And as you go through the novel, little bits and pieces of this criminal activity start to come out. And what the author is doing a really great job showing is the way that her soul experiences wounding because of her spouse's deceit. Because she's being lied to by her spouse, it's inflicting these deep psychological wounds on her soul. And the bigger the deceit, as she uncovers more and more, the deeper the wound is that she experiences. And so then the particular question of her story is how does she experience healing for this wound? How does she learn to trust people again? How does she learn to live in a world where she has relationships with individuals, where she has varying levels of intimacy without looking askance at everything they say and wondering is there something more than what's behind the statement they're making to you there are no simple answer to these questions about how a person who has been wounded experiences healing it rarely takes place overnight but at the the heart of all the, the people in her stories who are experiencing healing there's always kind of the same general solution even though it looks different in everybody's life and it ultimately is found as this person comes to jesus It's not like this simple one-off prayer and and then boom, they're healed and everything's fine in their life. It's this process. Every broken person is coming to Jesus through people, through this ministry of healing. And they have to then welcome love. They have to choose to be with Jesus as they forgive the person who has wounded them. And then by the power of the Spirit, live this new life of, of gentleness and love towards others who continue to wound them. And it's this long process, it it often involves prescription, medication, sometimes for a season, sometimes for a long time, therapy, confession, community care, small groups and the sacraments. And, And all of these things work together to help this person stay present to Jesus with them. And as they do this, they experience degrees of healing over time. And what I so enjoy about these books, which is why I read one after another after another, is the honesty with which they're written. The broken people sound like real people. And the healing, it kind of happens in fits and starts, like how I experience it in my life and how I witness it, experience it, and other people experience it in their lives. every person is confronted as they search for healing with the person of Jesus. And they're challenged to follow him. And they follow this way of forgiveness. And they follow this way of sacrificial love. And for many of the people in her story, as is true for many of the people in our world, this is hard. As much as we all want healing, following the way of Jesus, which includes hard things like offering forgiveness to the people who hurt us, is hard for us to take. And so often, people choose not to follow Jesus, not to welcome Him into their lives. Instead, choose independence. Instead, choose vengeance. Instead, choose privacy. Instead of community, confession, and forgiveness. And it all hangs whether or not they experience healing, and whether or not they can turn towards Jesus in the presence of these other people. And that is fundamentally what is happening in the passage that Ian just read for us. Fundamentally, what's happening here is that Jesus is showing up on the scene and he is announcing that his ministry of healing has begun. As I've come, and people are going to start getting healed. But then, people don't get healed. And the question to wonder about is, why is that the case? Why is it that people aren't getting healed? This is early. We're going in this sermon series on the life of Jesus, and we're kind of tracking through the chronology of Jesus' life. Not the exact chronology, but generally. And this is in the early starts of... Uh, early portion of his ministry and it's when he returns home. And he's announcing that this ministry of healing has begun. And listen to the way that that he talks about it in verse 16 through 20. He went to Nazareth. This is after he'd already been going around to a few towns and preaching and healing people. So he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, synagogue as was his custom. This is what he was doing stood up to read. The scroll, the reading for that day, the scroll that was handed to him, was Prophet Isaiah. Unrolling it, found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down he says today this reading is fulfilled which is his way of saying today my ministry of healing is happening and he's bringing healing for all aspects of life there's sort of this holistic healing that's described in this isaiah passage there's addiction there's healing for physical injury there's there's healing for oppressive relationships and this is all good news because Jesus is saying, I'm offering you this sort of whole life healing that's gonna result in you having a better life. And this is good news. But it's not something he's primarily gonna to, going to accomplish through you know, just fixing people's you know, external problems. Freedom for captives. He's not going around breaking people out of jail. He's helping the poor, but he's not just handing out money. The primary thing that Jesus is offering in this ministry of healing is something spiritual within you. He's offering something to people at Nazareth, this spiritual healing. But what that means is that each person can choose to accept it or not. They have to decide whether they're going to welcome Jesus and then experience the healing that follows or not. And what is clear from our passage And subsequent passages is that not everyone wants the healing that he's... Well, not everyone is willing to welcome him. They want the healing, but they don't want whatever teaching is preceding that healing. And this particular story in Nazareth is sort of like a microcosm of what happens in all sorts of towns throughout Israel, and really what happens in all of Israel when Jesus is rejected, and his offer of healing is rejected by God's people and he's sent to the cross. In some towns he shows up, announces this new kingdom that has arrived and the, the healing that will go with it and people welcome him and then all these signs happen and wonders and people are, are healed. But in other towns, people don't welcome him and nothing happens. They don't enter into this new life because they don't welcome him. And what Jesus is naming in our passage is this is normal. It's very typical for God's people, people who have dedicated their life to welcoming God, to be confronted with Jesus and say, no, thank you. And in order to prove this, he starts quoting stories from the Old Testament where this happened. Listen to verses 24 to 27. Truly I tell you, continue, no prophets except in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to another widow, Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman, who is from Syria." Jesus is not being welcomed and then the healing doesn't happen and he's saying this is normal look at Israel look at these two prophets perhaps the most powerful prophets in the history of Israel there's all this hurt and heartache in Israel but they were sent to people outside Israel where the healing happened same dynamic that was at work in Elijah and Elisha is now at work with Jesus There's something about People of God being slow or reticent to welcome Jesus, which means they miss out on the healing he brings. Try to explain this. He says this in verse 23. Surely you're going to quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what you've heard me done that I did in Capernaum. And sure enough, we read just a few verses later that the next place Jesus goes after Nazareth is Capernaum. Luke 4, 31-32. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. Same thing he did in Nazareth. They're amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. So Luke's drawing this parallel. In Nazareth they're amazed at his teaching, but then they say, isn't this Joseph's son? In Capernaum, they're amazed at his teaching, but then they say, His words have authority, which means they listen to his teaching and do them. And this is the dichotomy that Jesus is experiencing. When he goes to towns, people are either sort of saying, aren't you just one of us? Do we really have to listen to you? We watch you grow up. Or they're saying, you're clearly sent from God. Your words have authority. Let me listen to what you say and put them into practice. And this dichotomy of responses to how people are receiving Jesus' message of the kingdom has come near becomes more and more clear throughout the Gospels. People's responses become more and more stark. And in chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples to all the towns all over Israel, and we see the same thing play out for them. People respond differently to this message. Listen as I read, this is a longer passage, but this is what happens as the disciples go out all over Israel. And you see the way that the Nazareth story is a microcosm of what's happening in all of Israel. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the, dust of your, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted to the heavens. No, you will go down to Hades." So you see here there's a dynamic at play where jesus and then his disciples are going out into these different towns and they're experiencing a variety of responses even in capernaum you're seeing multiple responses on multiple stories where first jesus goes and then later when his disciples go and what is clear is that jesus and his disciples are sharing this message of good news and they're showing up with the offer of the healing that the kingdom promises but they're not always welcomed. And the sign of whether or not they are welcomed and whether or not the healing that comes with Jesus' ministry is going to happen is revealed in what Jesus is talking about here at the end, whether or not they repented. They listened to the teaching, saw it had authority, and then repented. changed the way that they were living. Everybody wants the healings, everybody wants the miracles, but not everyone was willing to follow Jesus' teaching. And that's because when they're hearing this message, it is something that is radical. And as we see throughout the Gospels, and we know from our own lives, is offensive. When he's calling people to repentance, it's always a hard message to receive, but it's, it's especially hard if you already think you're a good person, which is what the people of God often think. But this is the prerequisite for healing. You and I must repent and turn towards Jesus. Jesus. People must see Jesus, hear this call to repentance, and not say, who are you? We saw you in diapers like when you were growing up. Or "Or, who are you? I'm already in with God. I'm I'm a a son or a daughter of Abraham. You have to hear his message, his challenge, and actually change the way you're living. And, And what is the essence of repentance that he's calling people to? He's calling people to die. He's calling people to follow him to the cross. In order to have this great life of freedom, this full, abundant life that has joy, it has healing, it has freedom, you and I must be willing to die. Our self righteous self must be ruined as we let go of our attachments and choose instead to go this way of sacrificial love. We have to die to status, we have to die to achievements, we have to die to security, power, self-righteousness, vanity, greed, fear, and so many more things that Jesus reveals in His one-on-one interactions with people throughout His ministry. And instead of being attached to these things and thinking we need them, we have to die to them and then choose to follow Jesus' example of sacrificial love for others. And when the people welcome this message, when they're, they're willing to, to make themselves small, to go low, to serve others, to lay down their lives for other people, even when it hurts their status or impacts their power or diminishes their wealth, when they do that, then they start to experience healing. The kingdom bursts forth in their community and healing starts to happen in people's lives. Their willingness to welcome Jesus and accept this hard message of, of going the way of the cross, of dying to the, to the worldliness of this world, is the necessary prerequisite to the fruit-bearing experience of healing and freedom. So the question for you and me, the parallel to you and me is that this same dynamic is still at work. You and I often resist the call of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and then miss out on his healing. Because we're reluctant to repent, to change the way we're living. We miss out on healing. So the question that we are invited to consider from this passage is, do we want to be healed? If so, then we need to repent. We need to change the place we're looking for happiness. Letting go of our attachments to status or power, achievement, esteem of others, our image, controlling relationships, Future security, we have to let go of the way we cling to those things and instead open ourselves to God's loving presence with us and obey His call. This is the way to healing. In the books that I was mentioning before, written by Susan Howitch, one of the things I, I like is that she does a really good job of showing how hard this is for people to welcome Jesus. She is pointing out, just like the people in Israel when Jesus arrived, that some welcomed him and others didn't. But what I also really like about these is that kind of that same dynamic is at work in the same character's lives. So like there's one character who, in an earlier book, he's the protagonist and um, he's a priest and he gets involved with this woman and it's very inappropriate and then it gets found out and the fallout is all sorts of pain and suffering in her life and his life and in his uh, all the people that he's in relationship with and he then has to go through this process of healing of asking why did I do this what was my deep need what do I need healing for he has to repent he has to confess he goes through this long process and he's on the, the road of healing for himself and for those around him but then in another book he's not the protagonist but you see him on the periphery and he, kind of for the same reasons that he initially made mistakes, he's making a new set of mistakes. He's this overachiever, and he's trying really hard to succeed. And he starts taking money from the, the denomination's uh, campaign where they're raising money, and then he's trading it in the market to try and increase the amount so he looks more successful, like he's raised more money. And this time, he, he gets caught, and he doesn't repent. He's defiant, they're refusing to admit that he did something wrong because he was just trying to help the, the denomination. And he misses out on healing because of this. And these are fictional stories, but they ring so true to what you and I live. When we're first encounter with Jesus, we have to repent. We have to change the way we're living. We have to turn towards Jesus. But we have to repent the next day. And the next day, and the next day, because we keep getting drawn back into these worldly ways of finding happiness and and status and power and security and control. And we have to go, oh yeah, that doesn't lead to happiness. If I cling to those things, I'm going to just leave a trail of wounded people in my wake. I have to repent, turn towards Jesus, and choose the way of sacrificial love this is the journey that we are all on every day you and i have to repent of the way the places we're looking for happiness and choose to follow jesus if we want healing so i want to close with a little bit of quiet some prayerfulness and reflection and if you're comfortable i invite you just to close your eyes And the first question I want you to hold before the Lord in prayer and in quiet is simply, where do you want healing? Consider the wounds that come to mind. If you're comfortable in the quiet, you don't have to say this out loud, but in the quiet of your spirit, you can just say to Jesus, I need healing for this. And just name that in the quiet. And if you can stay in this prayerful place, the next question then is, what do you need to repent of? what illegitimate source of happiness do you need to repent of o oh lord make us people who welcome you welcome you as one with authority who heed your teaching And follow the example you set out for us of sacrificial love. May it be so by the power of your Spirit. Amen.